Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry. And all three of us are professional illustrators, and we've been working for about the last 25 years. We work with just about every major publisher in the business. Together, we've published somewhere between 50 and 100 books, and we've all taught illustration at universities. Each week, we come up with a different topic relating to illustration. Sometimes we're going to argue, sometimes we're going to agree, but each time you are going to learn something brand spanking new. All right. Well, uh, good to see you guys again. Uh, Today, you know, let's just get right down into it because I like today's topic and I think it's going to be really helpful. Will... You're on board for uh, leading us in this discussion. Take it away. First, got to talk about your printer. Mm-mm. Jake is angry right <laughs> now. If Jake, come, if Jake comes across as a little, little feisty. I'll, I'll give the play-by-play real quick. There has to be an anecdote to start these podcasts off. I, I get, we got see, on. I was trying to <laughs> just trying to get into it so that I can get over with it. So that I could get back to my my printer and fix it. Yeah, we can't let that but happen. Go ahead. So go Jake ahead. was lamenting how much he hates his printer, and <laughs> so we had to play the scene out of Office Space, um, where they take a baseball bat to a printer. And- yes, it was. It was it actually did help me feel a little bit better. But uh, my printer is just dumb. It's just, and it's not. Uh, so, I mean, I'm grateful for the printer and for all the good prints that it's done for me. And I, I hate <laughs> talking like that in front of it. But today it just uh, decided you're not getting a print. Yes. It just, today it was like, I'm not going to be connected to, you can't connect to me. Nothing you could do about it. You won't be able to connect to me. You can go ahead, re-download download those drivers, try and install them. <laughs> not going to do it. Not gonna, oh, and by the way, I'm not going to connect to the other computer either. And uh, It's just an and, island. Uh, the backup computer or the backup printer, uh, the the office. So I have my nice printer, then I have my office one for like cheap stuff. Uh, so I'm like, fine, I'll send it to the cheap one, and because it's just a, a sheet that I'm going to draw over the top of. That one's out of ink, just right out of ink. So like they're colluding with each other, and uh, I am about to become a luddite. And just go out into the woods and, and <laughs> draw pictures in the dirt. <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's move forward because the more I talk about this, the higher my blood pressure gets, and, and uh, it's not it's not good for my health. <laughs> okay, we don't want that. All right. So today's topic is beginner mistakes in making illustrations, and where this topic came from is uh, my wife and I went to a one of those places where you get, where they give you, um, I think it's called stoneware, where it's mm-hmm. it's pottery that's been fired, but it's but it hasn't been glazed yet. Oh right, it hasn't yeah. been decorated. So then you go in with a paintbrush, and they give you like all the the they give you really crappy paintbrushes. But I'm gonna bring my own next time. But then they give you the paint, the right kind of paint to use, and then they you decorate it, and then they f- glaze it and fire it. Okay. Yeah. So the idea for this episode came from that since I went in there as, you know, as, as an artist kind of, and I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the place. I'm looking at all these people painting and I'm saying to myself, what are the most common mistakes that people are making in here? And so I, I asked the girl behind the counter, I'm like, I just basically asked what for this episode, you know, this, the, the, you know, what are the, what are the beginning mistakes that people make? She's like, well, if you make a mistake, you can't really erase. Well, good to know. So be very, you know, you can use a pencil. She's like, the pencil will fire off, but not if you use charcoal. And just gave me a lot of mm-hmm. really good tips. There were some little thin line squeeze things. And she's like, those don't really work, but everybody tries to use them. And they can mm-hmm. work for certain things. And she showed me examples. how they're. Anyway, you get the picture. So I thought. This would be a good episode for us because sometimes you can learn a lot as a student or as a as a beginning illustrator or even as an intermediate illustrator who's trying to get better by finding out what are the things that most people are doing wrong. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Cool. So, you know, as a teacher, we've all taught at universities, we've all taught at art schools, we've all seen 
these common mistakes. And so I think we'll just kind of go through a list and you guys gave me a few to put on here. There's probably some that we're going to miss, but these are probably the most common ones. So That's good. And, Perfect. and if you guys think of any anecdotes to throw in there, feel free, have fun. The first one is not bleeding. Ain't got no bleed. No bleed. <laughs> what is bleed? Yep. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that for you. Bleed is, is when your artwork actually extends beyond the size that it will be printed or, or cropped. And so, um, a lot of times what, and I used to do this as well, but you'd create art just right to where the trim of the print is going to be or the, the final production of it. And, and the thing is, is, uh, printing's not exact, Trimming is not exact, and uh, and so uh, it could cut in or it could cut out of your drawing, and and you'll have white space of where your uh, your piece is supposed to finish. Is that is that what you're? Yeah, kind of what you're. Yeah, looking I for? mean, imagine imagine you're doing a book cover, and you give you know the book cover is supposed to be trimmed, or if you measure the 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 dust jacket or the actual book. Well, first, if you if you measure the dust jacket, that's a piece of paper that's been cut on all sides. And if the image goes to the edge, we call that a bleed. And if and if you're illustrating right up to where they're supposed to cut, how do you know they're not going to cut just on the other side of your illustration where the where there's white paper? Now you've got a sliver of white paper, Sean. So an art director is never going to let that happen. The big mm-hmm. mistake that illustrators make is they don't follow the layout they're given or if they're working for a beginning client, you know, a, 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 a small publisher or self-publisher or someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. They might not even give you a layout that includes bleed because they don't know themselves. It's kind of your job as an illustrator to, to look out for. You can save yourself a lot of trouble and headache if you are aware that you need to provide extra, what we call extra bleed. And there's actually two, there's two air areas too. There's, there's the live image area. Sometimes they'll give you a layout with three, three um, boxes. And the first one is like the live area. The second area is the area between the live area and where the book is supposed to trim. But they want an extra area of, of trim that goes beyond the trim <laughs> oh my gosh, you're getting so you know confused. <laughs> this is the most complicated way. Here, let's do a real example. So if you're doing a book cover and the book cover itself, the book itself, when it comes out, it's going to be eight inches by 10 inches. That's a standard book, book size. Um, then your trim area is the actual eight by 10. It's you take a ruler out, it's eight inches by 10 inches exactly on that. The live area, which Will is talking about, is an area that's basically just inside that trim area that you they want you to keep important stuff away from the edge. That's so right. that's the that's the live see, area. So see how so I baited you, Lee into doing this. <laughs> so you won't you don't want your type to be right to the edge because again, like Will said, they might cutting is not a precise science and they might cut a little bit off. So you don't want an important element right there at the edge. So the live area is hey, anything important is away from the edge by a half an inch or whatever it's going to be. The trim size is the actual cut. And then the bleed is what goes over. And what I'll add to that, since I'm talking about a cover as this hypothetical situation, whenever you get a cover or any kind of work, you want to add more bleed. Like a lot of times publishing, they'll say, hey, an eighth of an inch all the way around, which equals a quarter. Um, Mm -hmm. That is such a small area. I go ahead and add like a full inch Mm -hmm. to whatever. So if it's an eight by 10 cover, my actual size will be uh, uh, 10 by 12. Now, this, this is such a great topic. Because this one can keep going. If you give too much bleed, how do you ensure that they don't use all that bleed? In other words, if they ask for an eighth of an inch and that's all the way around, so then you're right. That's an extra quarter inch to both the top and bottom of your illustration. Yeah. But you give them a full half inch all the way around. Right. Then they start shrinking it. Yeah. Now you've diluted your illustration because the main part that you designed is in the middle and there's all this superfluous stuff on the outside. So how do you make sure when when I deliver the the file to the client, I still give them the measurements that they asked for, Mm -hmm. or maybe just a little bit more. 
but I still have the file. I'll give you an example of what happens if you don't do that. The last children's book that I did, for the dust jacket, I didn't plan as much. I mean, I added the normal bleed amount that I, that I normally do, but the dust jacket, I swear, it was like I, it was like I had to add an extra three inches, and I had to go back into a finished illustration that was on all these different layers and try to add you know, an inch and a half to the top, an inch and a half to the bottom at the end, after mm -hmm. the fit thing was completely done. And I just didn't like doing that at all. So mm -hmm. I just create the huge bleed for myself. And I tell them that, I'm, I tell them that I've got a file with more bleed too, but mm -hmm. I give them what they're asking for exactly. It's just so they don't, a, a designer doesn't plop it in like you're saying, well, and all of a sudden now everything's small. Mm -hmm. Are you saying you crop out of the large size and give them, mm -hmm. okay, but you yep. withhold more in case they're like we need more okay got it yeah because yeah, yeah so then when they that's contact good. you they say hey we need more and you're like oh good i, I yeah. have it right here <laughs> yeah i've done that too and it's so much easier to illustrate imagine if you're working digitally and you've got your document size and you're painting to the edge of that document um and that creates a line that creates a hard line where everything is ending tree branches buildings people anything that crops out of that image area is creating a line, a, a visual line. If you try to add extra, if you go back into your canvas size, and we're talking about digitally, and you increase your canvas size, and you and now you fill with white around the edge, how in the world do you add bleed without going meticulously around your illustration and continuing right. those lines? It's tough. It's 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 it can be many 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 hours trying to match, and you you'll never get it completely right you unless you spend maybe a day or two sometimes oh no i got i have another anecdote i want to add Go this ahead. is this is so good i may be even able to show you guys on the uh on the if YouTube you're watching channel. youtube oh, where jake is what it? is our youtube channel uh, I think it's Society of Visual Storytelling. Yeah, there you go. So you can watch the three Something of us like bungle that. around on, on here. <laughs> I've got it over here. Yeah. So when, when Will starts telling a long, meaningless story, I'll go grab it so you can see this. <laughs> um, but yeah. but so on the, uh, before they contacted me to add the extra bleed, the printer decided to go ahead and try to add the extra bleed. Wow. And so what they did is mm. they they copied and pasted the actual illustration uh, to fill up the bleed that they copied they and pasted the original on the edges. Yeah. Like and so I had an, video. I had an octopus on the edge and then they flipped it. So the octopus had like 16 legs. <laughs> oh man. And my client then caught the client, the printer sends that proof to my client. My client calls and says, why did you give us a crazy looking octopus with 16 legs? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I pulled it up and I did gave him a screenshot. I was like, my octopus has eight legs. I don't know what you're talking about. That's funny. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that so that's what I had to go fix, but I've got that version here. I'll I'll, I'll grab it in just a second. Wow, when I when I was uh, painting in acrylic paint, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the first part of my career, I did that for like 17, 18 years, and I would get pieces where I didn't give them enough bleed from time to time, and they would come back and ask, "Talk about difficult." That really is almost impossible because you've got the the if you the way that I would work is I would tape my my paper, the edge of my paper, uh -huh. and I would gesso over that and then peel the tape at the end. So now you've got a raised, imagine on your paper, you've got a raised line of painted area. Oh, man. And that line, you can't paint, you can't match up with it, you know. So I would end right. up really making, um, I mean, I would, it, I did the best I could, but there was always kind of a line. And then, and then sometimes they would ask, can I can we feather it in Photoshop just a little bit? And I would give them permission and it was just a mess. So the easiest thing is make sure you know where the trim size is so that you can add plenty of extra bleed. You don't have to send it all to your client, but, but give them. And I did, I have a, a book. I'm not going to mention the name of it because I don't want the, the publisher to be, I don't know. I don't want them to be upset, but their designer, used all of my bleed you know like i mean it's like what's funny is in her layouts i sent her the sketch she put the sketch in it looked great gave her tons of extra bleed and used it all on the cover so it just ruined the whole design of the cover i mean if you haven't it's hard to describe in words but the, the reason it ruins it is because you designed an area that mattered and then if you just add an inch all the way around 
of extra nonsense of nothingness, it just dilutes the yeah. potency it, of your design. It's the equivalent of like pan and scan on the old, uh, you know, when when uh, they would take a widescreen movie. And oh like yeah, have to trim it down exactly. for a for a square TV. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah. It's not the director's original vision. Yeah. Okay, for those who are following along at home, uh, the second one is not drawing through. And oh wait, there was one more thing I wanted to add to that. Um, you want to go back to bleeding again? Sorry, I mean I know it's a topic we're beaten to death, but there was just one issue. Go for it. Oh, I just lost it though because I was filling out an online form while you're talking. Wow! <laughs> wow! Hold on, it's really important. It's really important. It's super importantly. It's it's almost as important as the meaningless story I'm about to tell. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you just move on to the next one? Can move on. I, I'm, I'll just we'll, interject. We'll revisit when it when you when your brain starts. All right, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. not drawing through is a term or a, a phrase we use for the idea of. Um, s- establishing, you know, like a lot of people will do it when they are drawing. Oh, I got it. Book. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to forget it. But I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, so let me know. If you know. But since, since we're talking about preparing a file for sending to the printer, a lot of people end up, because you don't know everything that's going to be used for an image, a lot of people work at twice the size that they're asked to work. So mm-hmm. for an 8x10 mm-hmm. cover, they'll work at... Uh, uh, whatever that 16 by 20 mm-hmm. and that way you mm-hmm. can use it as a poster you can use it as big prints later i already know what you're going to say so when they ask for that eighth of an inch all the way around you now have to double that and give them a quarter inch all the way around what that's what you were going to say <laughs> no i'm talking no. about the rest of the size that you make the oh yeah i mean obviously you got to double the size they ask it for but um right uh, i set up my bleed at the actual size and then i changed the canvas by the way so i don't have to calculate that oh gotcha mm. If that makes sense. But anyway, working bigger than your actual trim size, than the actual thing's going to be printed, is always a good practice. And I, I definitely um, recommend that to all my students. What do you guys think? Do you do that? That's a do you good recommend one. That, that could have been another item on the list. Eh, it goes yeah, with oh, the bleed. Yeah. yeah. Always, always work bigger. I, I don't do double, but... Uh, Let's make that I'll number at least two. Do, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll at least do 20% two. bigger, you know, at the yeah. minimum. I typically do 50. I don't double no, it. A lot of people, when they're working traditionally, double it, but you don't have to. What's the reason yeah. for that, working larger? So general? you can print later if they ask for a poster, like to sell it, or if they need, need to change the size or something. You're always struggling if you make something small because you can't go up in resolution mm-hmm. to a certain point. But the other, right. I, the, another big reason is if you're working traditionally, if you're working on an 8x10 cover right. in oil paint, I mean, you better be a really good painter to work at 8 right. by 10. And some people can do that. But boy, if you work double or even triple the size, you can you can usually, when they reduce it down, it'll it'll be tighter. You know, your, your drawing is usually better. Yeah, um, that's right. So, yeah. Okay, okay so sorry for interrupting, but at least I we like got some that. mileage out of that. Okay, <clears throat> not drawing through is going to be number three. And... Okay. And des- describe that. That's the idea that um, you might might be working in a sketchbook where the edge of the paper, you know, or on a uh, just a single sheet, is where the the artist is drawing. And when they get to the edge, there's no more paper, so they just they just try to fake it. If there if there's a if there's a um, an ellipse or something or a, a sphere that goes that crops out and comes back in. Uh, they'll try to figure out where that comes back in. The better way to do it is to work smaller than your paper size, define mm-hmm. an area on your paper, aka, you know, like doing a thumbnail or, or a comp size. Then you can draw that full circle or that ellipse or whatever the shape is that goes outside of your image area and comes back in. But because you're drawing from your shoulder, you can make a nice ellipse and you can get it really accurate where it would exit the image and re enter in the right spot. Not drawing yeah. through cr- creates uh, problems that the artist often doesn't see, but that the viewer will detect like a really wacky, wonky. Not only thing. that, like uh, I think the, uh, the ellipses is, is, uh, is one thing, but like say you're doing an environment or you're doing like a tree or a car or something like that. 
it's contained it's you're, you're letting the um you know the, the the size of your paper or your sketchbook or something like that determine what the the proportions what the size of that thing is going to be and so i always tell my students and, and people i've worked with is that you you shrink like you're saying you 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 draw a box on your paper that you're going to draw in. And then that way, if, yeah, if it does need to, you know, if this tree does need to go outside of that shape, you can easily, easily do that. But oftentimes I'll see like maybe a tree will be wedged into the corner because that was, you know, they're trying to fill out mm-hmm. the entire shape there instead of letting the tree like naturally, mm-hmm. uh, not naturally, but artistically like look how it should look. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you need to look at your image area as a window into a world, and you really can't do that if you're mm-hmm. drawing in the window and staying contained in that window. You need to be able to draw parts of the world that go that extend beyond that are going to be cropped out later on. Well, that's why I like drawing a big scene and then take and then using a smaller window and kind of moving around, almost like you have a camera. Mm-hmm. You get mm-hmm. way more interesting layouts but i tell you some people will be like oh i don't draw realistically or i don't i don't draw in an animation style so i don't need that i will tell you coming from the design side of things uh sensibilities you still need it i mean i just did a book project where uh, you know even doing my goofy bad drawings some of the people were wearing like a what do you call a poncho Mm -hmm. and in order to place the far arm or the far leg you know if they're turned in a three-quarter I had to draw through. Otherwise, it just looked really funny. The arm would be, if somebody measured, would be twice as long if I didn't do that or too short. Yep. Great. Okay. Uh, Number four is over-illustrating. And Mm. uh, to me, over-illustrating is um, putting superfluous things in your illustration that that are going to um, tell a different story or that are going to be distracting from the, the idea that you're trying to convey. So you're, you're, you know, when you're illustrating, you're trying to show a main idea. You're trying to, mm-hmm. as an illustrator, you're trying to convey, um, I mean, an idea. And um, if uh, maybe an, a good example of this would be, um, I don't know, Goldilocks and the three bears. And you, you know, you go nuts with like the, the, the different various toys that are in the, the little, you know, in the, in the little cabin or whatever the environment is. Um, and maybe some of those toys have a lot of personality, (laughs) you know, that are really distracting and almost look like another character. Um, that might be one way of over illustrating. Another one might be to put, um, so much, um, ornateness in the in the in the architecture itself that it becomes distracting it becomes almost more important um i've seen people illustrate you can do this with portraiture too where you you know you you're illustrating them the job is to illustrate someone's portrait to get capture their likeness to capture their um their personality and i've seen artists who have really fallen in love with drawing their hands and drawn like every vein and every <laughs> bone and, and, you know, and, and all of a sudden it just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And so there's a sensibility to right. um, trying to figure out what you're going to show and what, and more importantly, what you're going to leave out. Um, so, and so that's what we're talking about. Over illustrating is, is putting too much in. I got a good it. one for that. Yeah, go ahead. I see this one a lot, especially our, we're doing a, a contest this month. <clears throat> that was my prompt at svslearn.com, and the prompt was nightfall. One of the big things I see there is people put in multiple light sources, especially when it's a nighttime scene. It'll be like a, a street light, an interior light hitting a character, and then the moonlight, and they're all equally bright. Mm. So mm. sort of the same idea. is like I don't know where to look because there's these really hot spots all over your image. Is that the same thing? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. Would that be (laughs) overdrawn? You guys look like, no, that's not part of what I'm talking about. Jake's trying to take over the world with a drawing right now. Jake's not even interested. He's not even part of this. He's just listening. (laughs) I'm playing the part of listener. (laughs) Okay, well, 
this next one kind of goes along with that. I I don't know if it deserves its own, but we're going to give it its own. Number five is, um, well, I guess, this is different because this deals with atmospheric perspective where you'll see too much detail in the background and blurriness in the foreground. So the idea mm. here is that when we, you know, when we view the world, we, our eyes see things in focus that are closer to us. And as they move farther and farther into distance, they become more and more blurry. Edges become softer um, just because our eyes cannot focus on things that are, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, uh, things that are, that are two feet away versus 20 feet away versus 200 feet away, 2,000 feet away, two miles away, 20 miles away. As we go into the distance, things are just going to get more and more blurry. Um, and what, what I've often noticed uh, with beginning illustrators work is you'll see the reverse of that. And so in other words, if you follow that, if you make things in the foreground crisp, the edges crisp, the details crisper, and as they move back blurry, you will recreate a, a situation that we're familiar with in viewing real life. If you do the opposite of that, you'll create something that looks, um, well, to me, it looks disturbing. Because I'm like, yeah, you know, you're, bra- you're everything is the same level of of like high. De- yeah, fidelity, that that would right? be the other thing. So either either making things in the foreground blurry and things in the background crisp, or everything has the same crispness, crispness. Crisp. That also causes you to draw way longer than you really actually have to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think too, like that. Then you're starting to make like puzzle art. You ever look at like the, the illustrations for puzzles, mm-hmm. and and they're like, um, there's so much detail in them because every puzzle piece needs to have some I, sort of detail, in right? It. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe and if you like doing that, maybe you've got a bright future as a puzzle artist. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to knock it. <laughs> now, now in comics, Jake, when when you're doing something that is a little more linear, a little more graphic. How do you mm-hmm. simplify a background? Like for, for me and Will, we're a little more atmospheric, so we'll just blur it. Um, but how do you yeah, do Yeah, in comics, I'll actually, I'll do an establishing shot. So, so in comics, you're, you're, you're telling a story through a series of images, one right after another, like sequential art, right? Um, so what you'll do is a, an establishing shot, and you'll show the characters in their environment, sitting at a table. There's walls. There's characters behind them. Just a really detailed first image, um, and then I'll usually light it or color it or or do something just to give the the main characters emphasis. But then every panel after that, you don't have to put in that much detail. You could just put in a few marks that suggest what was in that first panel. Mm-hmm. You could do. Even like uh, if you look at like Missile Mouse and and Skyheart, I'll just have um, abstract shapes behind them that that sort of symbolize the the environment that they're in. But you don't even think about it because you got a word bubble there, you got the character, and your your eyes are are moving along the page so fast you don't even like stop to look at the backgrounds. And that's one of my main frustrations with some comics that are just too beautiful. They're too like rich. Mm-hmm. Is is where they illustrate every panel, every single panel, like just so dense with with imagery that you can't even read the story because you're stopping to like try and take in all the detail there. That's so what. That's why a, I've avoided most comics. By the way, is I love the cover. I get drawn in by this pretty image, and then mm-hmm. I open it, and it's just so packed. I'm like, I can't. I can't even look at it. It's too mm-hmm. much. It yeah. Hits me like a, you know. Brick you know wall. who you'd like, actually. Who? You would like uh, Hellboy by Mike Mignola. Yes, that yes. Would be, that would be right up your alley if you want, like a real. Uh, I told uh, you he he good. bought an original from me, didn't I? No, really. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So maybe yeah. Mike Mignola would like Lee White. Yeah, he bought a That's he true. bought an original in in L.A. at a gallery I was showing at, and he sent me a a message on Facebook. And I was like, "What? No kidding! <laughs> it's pretty cool." Yeah. Well, you should. You, then you you, you, you owe it to him. Yeah, you owe it to, to him. read one of his. He comments. does a great. I mean, I do love the way he simplifies things. <laughs> wow, that just. I kinda... like how I like how you said Mike Mignola. Like, I wouldn't know who that is. 
I don't know. You said you don't like comics. <laughs> yeah, but he 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 transcends the that medium. I think you know with the yeah. I guess if if there was a comic artist that you would know about, it'd be Mike Mignola. You know, Definitely. he's coming over to our house for dinner this weekend. Guys, <laughs> Is that stop right? It. <laughs> stop. I'm telling the truth. Will's lying. <laughs> Will's trying to. Okay. He's trying to step up. Number six, as actually was suggested by our own Lee White, too much perspective. What did you mean by that, Lee? Mm. Once people, I guess the same thing could be added for with anatomy, but I'll talk about that in a second. But um, it's where you just, you've learned the rules of perspective. And now all of your illustrations basically become a perspective assignment. Mm. And what you're really trying to say with perspective is here's a, a space that moves, uh, or, you know, there's an environment that moves back in space. There's a million ways to solve that problem that does not use linear perspective. I guess I should add that to it, that that's what we're talking about is mm -hmm. when you have a vanishing point and all the vanish things point back there. And you see that with, with definitely with people who are in that beginning perspective class, because everything looks like the train tracks going back, mm. you know, it'll be a right. road, a path, whatever. Uh, and everything's just zooming back and everything pulls back to that that vanishing point. And if you're really trying to convey space, I try to tell people, like, solve the problem with the other options, which are design. You know, anytime you have an overlap, you've now indicated a spatial relationship. Mm. That's all perspective does. Um, anytime you have a change in scale, you've, in, you've introduced a... Um, you know, a size kind of metric in mm -hmm. there. If you have two, two lampposts and one's bigger than the other, well, automatically, almost no matter where they are on the page, we'll read that as being closer, the bigger one being closer. Mm -hmm. So there's all these design tricks, and some of them may be better for your image than tracking back a vanishing point. Mm. You know, one thing that I've noticed is with beginning students, and I have this in my um, creative composition class, interesting enough, also at svslearn.com, <laughs> where you can learn how to illustrate like the pros. <laughs> you don't even know the slogan. I don't know it. <laughs> I have no idea. What it is. So good. It's like, hey, where you two can be awesome at doing drawing. Um, no, I've noticed that, um, and I've given this assignment a bunch of times, and I, I put examples in that class from this. Um, was as I would have my students draw. From, mem uh, from their head, because I, sometimes I'd want them to draw with reference and sometimes I want to, this was basically a test, but I wouldn't tell them it's a test. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, I mm -hmm. want you to draw a garage with the door, the garage door up, just a garage of a house. And I want you to fill it with items that you would find in a garage. And interestingly, okay. <clears throat> what, I would, what I normally get on the first pass, because then I give them, a, I, I show them examples from the previous class when they got a second run at it after I showed them what would make it more dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the what the default is, what the normal uh, illustrator usually does, is they they draw, um, well, let's say they draw like a trash can, they draw a barbecue grill, they might draw a set of weights, they might draw some boxes, uh, maybe an exercise bike, different things like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll give space to each one. They won't overlap them. And oh. they also will will uh, put the camera, they'll pull the camera back so that everything gets equal billing, equal size. Um, so what you end up having is a bunch of objects that are all about the same size, roughly. Yeah. And they're all small. And then I go through my, I, I will show them my um, small, medium, huge lecture, which is instead of going with, with objects that are small and then having, including medium and big for variety, I want them, I want to over-exaggerate their minds to, or, or stretch their minds so that they can exaggerate and, and go with small to tiny objects, medium-sized objects, and huge objects that, that have to crop outside of the image area. And uh -huh. they have to overlap each other. And I think one of the hardest things for illustrators to do is to draw something, because it requires drawing that barbecue grill, and then putting something over top of that drawing which is throwing away per, uh, perceived value, right? You spent time drawing the barbecue mm -hmm. grill, and it's so hard for beginning illustrators to to then eclipse it with something and only have a piece of that barbecue grill sticking out. But yet, that's what creates a, a much more dynamic image. Yeah, yeah. That's, can I add anatomy to that too, just as a yep. an add on? Add away. 
So the same thing, I can always tell when people are taking the anatomy class when they're in their foundation because all the people look like He-Man. And, you know, whether they need muscles or everybody's got muscles everywhere. Like I can see everybody's traps in there, you know, sternocleidomastoid connecting into all these little, you know, they got everything showing. And, and, and what I try to tell students coming out of that class is, Muscles have a function. And so if all you listeners right here, if you're, as long as you're not driving, you make a big bicep muscle, it makes a muscle on top. But if you notice the bottom side of your arm, it stretches it, it relaxes right. that side, it, it straightens it out. In other words, you can't have flexed muscles on both sides of your arm. <laughs> right. You can't. And so you got to think about function. You can't just know the anatomy and just put it all over the place. You have to say, okay, what's going to be flexed? What's going to be relaxed in a pose? And then also the anatomy needs to support the pose, the gesture and all that stuff, not just be tacked on because you've learned some new muscles. Right. Perfect. That's a good one. I think too, also with like uh, uh, any sort of machinery or tech, you're gonna, uh, you can go really overboard there. And I think the, the rule I always say is this, the 80-20 rule. Maybe it's a 70-30 rule. I always go back and forth because both work. But 70% of your image should be one, uh, visually one thing. It should be open space with 30% of it being busy space, lots of line work, lots of interest, lots of contrast. And then... Um, uh, the 70% should be like a place where your eye could rest, a place where, you know, it's just dead air. And and that's where you get a really dynamic. And that goes to character design. It goes to, you know, if you're designing a spaceship or a vehicle or a house or something like that, you know, have have the house favor, you know, one or the other where you have all this detail in the shingles and in the roof, but then the the walls of the house are just blank and easy to uh to rest you mm -hmm. know for your eye to rest on yeah yeah those are good general rules to follow there's definitely definitely times to break those but there's but in general mm -hmm. i i totally agree okay the next one is yours jake you you threw in their odd pov what does that mean oh yeah that kind of goes with the pers the perspective thing and that is um uh picking either a um a totally um, benign, mundane point of view mm -hmm. to, to show your image or uh, because you don't know where to put like the viewer's eye, you don't know how to draw the, the plane. You don't have like a, a cinematographer's like mindset about the, the illustration that you're making. Oftentimes what I'll see is, um, is they'll elevate, the, the view, the POV to maybe 18 feet in the air or something weird, like 20 feet in the air. So you're looking at like a, uh, uh, you know, a hallway in a, in a castle, or you're looking at, um, the downtown of a, you know, of a, of a small town and, you know, the kids running down the street with his, with his dog, but we're 18 feet in the air. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of looking down yeah. at the tops of everybody's heads. Right. And there's just no reason seen that for before. It. Right. Yeah. 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 So, and so, uh, I, I say just imagine that you're there um, observing this, you yourself. And if you're, you know, five foot eight or whatever, then draw everything as if you're five foot eight and other people are going to be eye level with you or maybe get really interesting and draw from three feet. You know, if, if you want to exaggerate the height of your main character, draw that low. If you want to emphasize how small a character is, then maybe you go up high up into the air. Yeah. But don't just arbitrarily like, oh, this is all I know how to do, you know, do it. Like yeah. spend a little time figuring that figuring that out. What would you say to the person who whose response would be, I'm trying to add variety. I don't want the same camera angle. So that's why I chose to mix it up. So I'm just mixing it up. Uh mix it up, that's fine, but but make sure you're having like a, a reason for it. I just um I I could tell mixing it up from from lazy or amateurness. Mm -hmm. Like, like every if every single one of your illustrations are all from that same POV, you're 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 not mixing it up, and mm -hmm. you you don't understand uh, the the role that the the point of view plays in your illustration. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if that's happening every once in a while for a reason, that's good. Do it. Yeah. 
I mean, the camera in the in the air, a hundred feet above the town, is is a good idea for like an establishing shot, right? Where you're saying right. this is where this story is taking place, exactly. In this little hamlet here, or something like that. And then, and then when Dad gets home, because he, because you know, you know, the kids have, you know, painted desitin all over the walls, and they're going to be in trouble. And Dad comes home, and and now the camera's down low. This happened in real life, didn't it? Will? It did. This is I'm uh, triggered you're, you're, by you're, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This has happened. <laughs> <laughs> no one just pulls Desident out of the air. It's hard <laughs> to <laughs> get rid of, man. And it, you know, and it gets in things, and it's and the smell. You know, you never really. I had a roommate that played a prank on me once, and he he put Desident in my to, to, tube of toothpaste. Oh wow. So I just squirted it right on a, a toothbrush. Oh, wow. That's a good prank. <laughs> wow. Might have to remember Crushed that. Crushed it right one. in. Yeah, it was not fun. Okay, the next one, I think this was yours, Lee. You said always using the airbrush or overusing the airbrush. I think Jake said that first part, and then I added to it. Jake, you want to take that? Jake said, just out of the blue, he said overusing, and you went the airbrush. Maybe we did. It's a, it's a constant. It, it's because uh, last time Lee and I were looking at the Critique Arena um, images that, that we were getting in and trying to pick which ones were our favorites and, and which ones would go into the final 16. And pretty much every one that, that didn't make the cut, well, the, the, like the first pass that were easily just like, mm, not this one, not this one. Because we do like we do it in waves. We just do a yes or no, and then we go to all the yeses and and figure that out. But the easy nos, they all were using the airbrush tool, uh, set it you know either full opacity, and just no control over edges or or you know it's it. I mean it's such a seductive tool because here you are, you can make a stroke and it just easily you know it just has that beautiful like edge to like zero edge to it just blends mm-hmm. right into the back but but it needs to be used wisely and needs to be used deliberately and to use it for everything even if it's a smaller size or larger size yeah. it, it can really it's, make your it's, piece sometimes it's mushy. like lighting a candle with a flamethrower right i mean it's like yeah, yeah you can do it but yeah exactly you want some candle left over the other side of that is 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 turning on too much opacity. So sometimes people will then try to overcorrect and they'll say, okay, I'm going to only paint with a hard brush, but they turn on that opacity at full control, or at full um, opacity. So you can make a 10% mark or a 100% mark, depending on how hard you're pressing down. That'll equal out to look like an airbrushed image because there's basically no hard edges, unless you're painting with the thing pressed all the way down. So watch out for that one too. Yeah. Okay, that was number eight. Anything left on that, you guys? We move on. No, I think that just, yeah. Just take note of that one, though, because that one, like Jake said, we see that one. I mean, these other ones are kind of interspersed within entries, but Mm -hmm. that one is a constant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that I would add to that is um, that I see people. um, No, I lost my train of thought. It was there. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> so you're, this is this is contagious, <laughs> Lee. <clears throat> Don't blame me. I, I found mine in one second. <laughs> it's there. You need to say something stupid so I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait. That won't be long. <laughs> if I remember it, I'll come back to it. Um, right. Okay. The next the next one is number nine is inconsistent drawing or rendering, and I put this one on the list because. Uh, what came to mind is I, I'll see someone's drawing and you'll see a poorly drawn figure and a really well-drawn falcon on their shoulder or something like that. That'd be right. my example, right? Mm-hmm. And and immediately I go, okay, so they had a really good reference of the falcon, <laughs> but zero or bad reference on the, the, the human character. Um, and so, yeah, and I'll see this a lot. Where or or it'll either happen that way, or um, stylistically something doesn't doesn't match. So you'll have something that's more academically drawn next to something more Dr. Seussian, right. and you're like, okay, these worlds don't don't match. So having really good um, drawing consistency, um, and then I threw rendering in there as well because I see this more digitally than. Traditionally, traditionally, 
<clears throat> people's paintings tend to be beginning paintings tend to be more consistent. I hate, I don't want to say this in a rude way, but consistently bad. Like if they're going to be bad, they're consistently bad mm -hmm. digitally because you can use digital tricks. I'll see people mm -hmm. that have probably thrown a piece of reference underneath there on a, on a mm -hmm. lower layer and traced it, yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're getting or even rendered over it. So now they're, they're copying the rendering from a photo or some. So it's like they, they, they created uh, like a downtown street and, and they pulled that, you know, from their perspective class, but then cars are too hard to draw in perspective. So they mm -hmm. found a, a photo reference of the car. That's kind of in the same perspective right. and they'll trace <laughs> over that. And right. it's just not quite meshing. Right. That kind of thing. This might be a good time to talk about when it's okay to trace stuff. Cause I mean, you guys trace stuff sometimes, right? Ever? Um, no. Trace stuff? I'm a big yeah. fan of, of that as training. Um, yeah. I don't actually trace that much stuff in my, my everyday life, but my, one of my first exercises in, in my sophomore level class is I, I have everybody trace ahead. A lot of times I use that classic Winston Churchill mm -hmm. photo, and I give them tracing paper, and I said, all right, if we took away the drawing problems, everybody should be able to nail this Everybody will do a perfect drawing, right? Because mm -hmm. they're tracing. Mm -hmm. And I put them all up. And it's amazing how different all 20 are. Mm. Oh, wow. And and so we That's talk cool. about it. You're making artistic choices even when you're tracing. Yeah, even when you're tracing. So yeah. I love it as a yeah. training tool. I will trace motifs sometimes just to get the, the feel of it. And then I'll continue mm -hmm. on and, and put it in there, you know, different things like that, different architectures and things like that. Um, but if you're, yeah, I think if you're, if you're tracing because you can't draw something in the perspective that it needs to be, you're just know that as you're doing that, you're delaying the inevitable. That if you're going to be successful yeah. as an illustrator, you're going to have to learn how to draw it in perspective. And it's actually I, pretty yeah. easy. I, the only time I trace it's when I need to like really save time. And I've got, it's probably from a photo that I've taken. Uh -huh. uh, and if not, it's from a photo that I've altered Photoshop, I'll either stretch it or, or mess with the proportions a little bit just so that it's like, it becomes more mine. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I trace over it in a way that it doesn't look like it's traced. So I'm adding my marks to it, my, um, my style to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're sort of modifying the framework, the underlying framework, and then you draw it on top. Yeah. Basically. I, I, yeah. I'm using it as sort of structure for the right. drawing. The only time I would also advocate for tracing is if likeness is an absolute must. Um, one of the, the commercial schools that I studied at when I was, I was going to school at Art Center, but I would always take a third term off and I'd go over to this other school called Associates in Art, and they were a real commercial-driven school. A lot of the teacher, teachers worked in entertainment, like doing movie posters and stuff. And if mm -hmm. you have to draw like Steve Buscemi, they would require exact photo reference of the angle. Yeah. And yeah. they trace it because they, I mean, it has to be perfect. What about, yeah, it makes me wonder like Drew Struzan, if, the, if that's what he's doing. Oh, he's absolutely he's just... doing because I worked with, uh, what was his name? Mike, uh, Mark Westermo and Mike Butkus. And both of those guys mm -hmm. worked under Drew Struzan and, and uh, did comps for him and stuff. And they were all tracing. Well, you mumbled a little bit. What was the first name? Mark? Mark Wester, uh, Mark Westermo. Westermo? Mm-hmm. He was one of the main the guys. Notes. Yeah, he was one of the main guys doing a lot of movie posters back in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. Drew taking Were they taking the photos themselves? Or were they working off of like the studio? studio the studio would provide them. Hmm. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Almost done here. We've got a couple more. Uh, poorly designed. Uh, a poorly designed drawing. Some of these are kind of obvious, I, I think, but. Um, the reason I included this one is because I think that a lot of beginning artists don't really understand the difference between drawing and design and mm. designing is a totally different skill than drawing. Um, you can draw, um, you know, I was, there was one thing I was going to mention earlier too, that I want to get in here when we were talking about the, on, on number nine, something to back up just a second. Cause I just remembered it. Incon is this the one you forgot? No. That's oh. lost forever. Okay. <laughs> but um, no, I, inconsistent drawing, when I said that, you know, if you can't draw something 
in the perspective that you need to, you're de delaying the inevitable and you need to learn how to do that. I designed a class because I was really bad at that. I designed a class called um, Visualizing Drawing in Perspective that we have at SVS for that reason, because it was a weakness of mine that I turned into a strength and I wanted to share that with other people on mm -hmm. my mindset on really quickly putting something in the proper perspective in and how to visualize that and how to capture what you're visualizing in your mind. Because in your mind, you know what's wrong. You can see that the that if you traced a, like you the example you gave, uh, Jake was a drawing an automobile that's not right. quite in the right perspective. And when you mm -hmm. draw it, when you trace it in there, you're trying to tell yourself it's good enough. It'll work. Mm -hmm. It's not that bad, but you know that the angle is wrong. It's either too high or too low. So it's either going, <laughs> if it continued in the path it's going, it would go subterranean or it would start flying up in the air, you know? Um, right. and, and there's an easy way. I'm just telling you, there's, it's not that hard to learn how to do that. Um, yeah. Okay. So, but going back to number 10, poorly designed, um, the difference between design and drawing is, is vast. D designing is arranging and organizing um, and, and bringing order. And, and drawing is, uh, you know, trying to recreate um, spatially uh, and describing an object that you're seeing. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they're, they're just completely two different things. And most, I would say most students think that drawing is synonymous with design in the beginning. And I really have to spend a lot of time separating that out and, and, and sharing that. There's no way, and the reason I included this, there's no way if you have a poorly designed drawing that you can end up with a good painting at the end. It doesn't matter if your drawing skills are great and it doesn't matter if your painting skills are great. If you're missing that third component of design, you're, you're never going to, you're never going to have, you know, you're, you're going to have your idols in the art world, in the illustration world that you look up to, and you're going to wonder why you're never matching up. And I've seen, I've seen people struggle for over a decade and they went through a program that never explained the difference between design or, or they were never able to, to slow down and listen. And it's usually it's usually the students who draw really well who are the most resistant to learning how to design, I found. Yeah, I call, yeah. I don't, I agree exactly what you're saying, but I don't, uh, drawing is like the overarching term. It, it's, it's like the, the, the tech, I guess the tool that you're using, mm -hmm. but I, I d uh, divide them between design and rendering. Yeah. And, and those two are so, like rendering is when you see someone who's just done amazing, um, like photo reproduction. Mm -hmm. Like they look at a photograph and they've got like the beads of sweat coming down and everything looks like it's really cool. And it's like maybe even, you know, twice as big or something. That is a good rendering, mm -hmm. but there's no design to that. They've, the photo just did the work basically. Right, right. And, 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 and they're just interpreting that in the rendering. And then on the flip side, you're right. The design is figuring out, um, you know, w taking photo reference, taking the concept that you have, the ideas that you have, putting them together, creating something new, whole cloth. And then once that's created, then the rendering is what happens on the top. That's where you actually make something finished that you could show somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just semantics. You look bored, Lee. No, I'm just trying to figure out how I want to say what I want to say. <laughs> no, he's like, if Jake's going to check out, I'm going to check no, out. I'm just daydreaming over here. No, I, I always say that good uh, good design trumps good drawing. And I, I agree 100% that the, the my more problematic students have been the people who can actually draw well. Yeah. Because they resist that. In mm -hmm. fact, I would go in, in, in my classes at UVU, I would say, Often I would begin a class with saying, who's the best drawer in here? And of course, they're never going to point to themselves. And then I'd, I'd say, point to the best drawer in here. And all the hands kind of converge over in one area. And and then I would say, you know, I'm not accusing you of anything because then they get all bashful. <laughs> the light, you know, the light spotlights on them. But I say, you know, just as a point of warning, the usually the best drawers usually have the hardest time with this class because I'm going to ask you to put away what you're really good at and focus on what you're not good at. 
And that's hard to do because you've always razzled and dazzled everybody in the class. Everybody knows you're the best, mm. you know, and I'm going to ask you yeah. to not be known for that during this class and to really focus on learning how to design. And some do, and some never seem to ever. Well, the hard, the hard part too, is sometimes they'll turn in work that is actually beautifully drawn. Like Jake was saying, like the beads of sweat look great and the individual eyeball looks great. All the individual little pieces of the drawing look great. It's just a poor composition. So when you start critiquing it, they don't understand right. that you're not dazzled by Don't the you see my great drawing? Look at this <laughs> right. hand that I drew. So it's they amazing. Yeah. They resist yeah. it. And, yeah. and, uh, can't resist come to the dark side yeah okay last but not least invalid architecture and prop design and by that i mean um making up part of a world so that you're basically getting inconsistencies you know maybe this is maybe this is kind of should have gone with um where's the inconsistent drawing or rendering maybe it could be combined in there but Specifically, what I'm talking about is I've seen people, you know, they're drawing, you know, they're drawing characters in their stylized way. They're, they're drawing uh, different things, but they're trying to convey a certain, a certain time and place. So let's say Central mm -hmm. Park current day or even Central Park, you know, 50 years ago. And there's an architecture to the, the, the you know, the, the benches in Central Park in New York City. You can't redesign those those benches. They are they do look a certain way. You know, you can you mm -hmm. can design the people and the dog and the and the the birds in your own way, but the benches kind of have to have a, a simple even if, if it's simplified version of that Central Park bench. Otherwise it it, it <clears throat> it's not it Central Park. Ceases to be Central Park right. and, and it becomes something else. So I've seen people out of their head like an alternate reality. Yeah, and I and, and I used to do this. You think, well, how hard could a bench be? I know that it's about this high, I know that it's about this wide. And so they get like the box that it would fit in, right? But then uh -huh. from there, you know, out of the box, the bench looks like it was built in a eighth grade industrial arts class, you know. I don't think they even have yeah. this anymore though, do they? We have industrial arts know. anywhere. <laughs> Is that like shop? Yeah, shop class. You know, it's like it's like we got a two some two by fours here, and we cut those, and then there, and we'll just figure out like obviously two by fours could come up and make the arms, and it's just really blocky and clunky, and it doesn't look like anything like a public bench. Um, right. And so, so that's that's the probably the best example I could give is is if you're trying to you you know you can take. Um, you can take a mailbox that's found anywhere in Americana, the, the mailbox with the little flag that's out on the street. Right. And, and the, you know, you take a hundred illustrators and say, design a really fun mailbox. They're going to take that original design and they're going to, they're going to riff on it. But it, you know, the best ones are all going to remind you of that mailbox. It's not time to start over and just say, design any box that you could right. put out in front of your house, it's going to need to be rounded on the top, you know, <laughs> right. you know right. what I mean? <laughs> and, yeah. and yet you could type in mailbox into Google images and get all kinds of different shapes inside. But if you're, if you're not, if you want to draw, I guess the, 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 the caveat there is if you don't want your mailbox to, to be a distraction in your illustration, do the typical one that you would see, you know, yeah. yeah. If the story's about so, the mailbox. So so basically what you're saying is do five extra minutes of homework and go to Google Images and just yeah. pull up what does the Central <laughs> yeah. Park uh, bench look like? Uh, don't trace it, but draw your version of it yeah. that still looks mm. like it. Yeah. I'll tell you, I had a really cool assignment when I was in school, an industrial design assignment. That was my minor. And it, the assignment was we had to uh, design a parking meter, but uh -huh. you were randomly given a different location in Los Angeles about where that parking meter would go. Mm. So mm. somebody got a parking meter in front of the Museum of Modern Art. Somebody got one in Hollywood. Somebody got one in Venice Beach. So what would these different things look like depending on those locations? Interesting. It was great. It's really fun. Well, and, and that, I mean, that assignment is sort of unique in that the idea was how do you how does the environment ref, you know 
what's the signature of the environment, right? But if you're, you know, you don't want to get that creative if it's a, you know, a children's book and all right. of a sudden you're, you know, right. little Bobby is uh, chasing his dog who got away <laughs> and run past this like crazily designed park bench. No, no, no. Like well, that, well, that's what I'm saying is you got you to think about what's appropriate for the place where you're talking about. So using your I example, think, yeah. like which neighborhood does little Bobby live in? And it needs to be, it needs to match, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. That's that's the beginner mistakes in making illustrations. I think we just gave away all, right. all of our secrets, and now <laughs> everybody's going to be a pro. Uh, I I like that though because it's it's kind of like uh, uh, you could look at your work. What I would do is look at your work and and go through this checklist and see where you're having problems. It might be that you're you're doing awesome in one or two of these. It might be that you know five of them. You see, oh, yep, I did it there. I continue, you know, it's, it's consistent. I do it here. I do it here. And keep that in mind as you move to your next future pieces mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and just have that in the back of your head as you're working. Now, if there's certain things that you just can't figure out a way, a way around, like, well, I don't know how to do better brushwork. I don't know how to, I, I love this airbrush tool. I don't know how to fix, fix that, or I don't know how to shift my perspective. Um, then it's probably time for you to to uh, to either get some tutorials, get some books, something to elevate your knowledge on 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 what you're doing. So this all, I mean, I didn't intend for this, but now it's turning into an SVS pitch. But <laughs> if uh, if you are wanting to level up, we have so many, like especially in this fundamentals uh, course or fundamentals track that we're doing. We basically teach you how not to do any of these things. Every mm-hmm. one of these classes um, uh, is is like an antidote to to the what mistakes. you're what you might yeah. be doing here to these these type of mistakes. So if if you are looking at your stuff, you you've sort of given yourself an audit, and you're seeing, oh yeah, I got to improve in in one, two, and three. Um, chances are we've got a class that can help you with that, and um, and it's about as affordable as it can be 30 bucks a month. Um, and you get access to all of it. So look into that and I'm going to take us out unless you guys have anything to add. If people want, if they're driving down the road or they're on the train or on the bus, listening to this and, mm-hmm. or airplane, I'll include that too. If they want the the list, can they get that from the show notes at our website? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. There you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Three Ports Perspective is made possible by svslearn.com, where becoming a great illustrator starts. And today, your hosts have been, as always, Will Terry, Lee White, and Jake Parker. Do you think we'll ever switch out one of us for someone else one, one of these days? People probably want that, but we're not going to give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> then... Honestly, the, the we've got it figured out with our schedules and with our uh, uh, shortcomings. We've got it figured out how to actually do this podcast consistently. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to mix it up and ruin it. Um, who knows? It'll maybe it'll make it better, but whatever. Uh, so let's tell you how to find our stuff. Uh, Will Terry can be found at willterry.com. You can also find his artwork at Will Terry Art on Instagram. Lee White, his website is leewhiteillustration.com. And you can find him on Instagram at leewhiteillo. And I'm Jake Parker. You can find my work at mrjakeparker.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Jake Parker. Also, we do YouTube videos um, uh, with all kinds of – basically, if you like this – podcast, you're going to like our YouTube videos as well. So just do a search for Lee White on YouTube, do a search for Will Terry, do a search for Jake Parker, and our videos will come up. Okay, podcast is produced by Aaron Pater, and he can be found at painterdraws.com. Podcast is edited by Alex Sugg, that's Sugg with two Gs, and you can find his work at alexsugg.com. And our podcast video for YouTube is edited by Daniel Two, and that's Daniel Two with a T U. At um, his, his website is Daniel Two Co. 
Uh, and lastly, special thanks to Lisa Fott, who does all of her social media and gets this podcast out to you so you know that we posted it. Uh, thank you for that. If you like this episode, share it around. Send someone a link to, uh, to listen to it. We would love that. That's how uh, podcasts grow. They live and die by word of mouth. And uh, if you care to leave a review as well, we'd love that. Whatever uh, place. Even if it's bad, uh, that'll give us fodder to do another bad review. Well, it'll help us make better, better uh, podcast episodes. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, Also, lastly, we on svslearn.com on the forum, there's a free forum that you can join in. Uh, There we've got a topic uh, devoted specifically to this episode. So join us over there and you can add other mistakes that you see amateurs make or you can defend some of these mistakes. Uh, always a lively discussion there. Our last episode had a great discussion about, what was it? It was a couple episodes ago, the um, uh, websites and portfolios. And, and we got a web developer on there that, that told us a bunch of extra information that that he felt like we should have covered in the podcast. So yeah, we want to hear what you think. So chime in over there and let us know your thoughts. All right, that's it, everybody. We'll see you next time. 